A week ago today, we began studying in the book of Ruth. We talked about Ruth, a widow, a woman who had experienced extraordinary loss. The book of Ruth is like a wonderful short story in the Bible, but it's real. It's a wonderful love story in the scripture, but it's also a true story. Will you say that phrase? True story. Last week, we began by saying once upon a time, which is often the way that a fable or a fairy tale begins, but I mentioned how even in your life and mine, there are things that we could describe as once upon a time. And we looked at the land of loss. We looked at how not only Ruth, but her sister-in-law, her mother-in-law, were people who had all experienced extraordinary loss in a time of famine. The family that Ruth married into had left Israel, the promised land, and went to a different land. They went to Moab, which is where Ruth was from. They went to Moab because there was famine in Israel. Now, there was famine in Israel because presumably what the Lord had said was, when you wander away from me, then you will experience hardship. And the things from which I am protecting you and through which I would preserve you, those things will persecute you if you turn away from me. In other words, Ruth and the people that she lived among, the family that she married into, were people who were living in the days of the judges. It's a book in the Bible that we studied together last year. In the days of judges, there was no king in Israel, but the Lord did raise up leaders. But there was a cycle that was continually spinning in the land at that time, which was that people would turn away from the Lord, and so the Lord would turn away from them, and they would come into crisis. In the era of Ruth, the crisis was a famine. And so the solution that Elimelech, the, the husband of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, and the father of Ruth's husband and her brother-in-law, Elimelech said, since there's no rain in this land and there's no food and grain in this land, we will go out of this land. But what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that the Lord had called them into that land. So rather than coming strongly to the Lord and asking for his help, Elimelech and his family had looked to where they could find help elsewhere. And in fact, what they found was death elsewhere. Not so much as a punishment from the Lord, I don't think, but a reality that when you go wandering away from God, you are not going to find a better alternative. And so Elimelech, whose name actually means that God is king, had made his own design and decision, which was to lead his family to Moab. And in living in Moab, they were living among people who worshiped other gods and served according to other standards. Well, Elimelech died in the land of Moab, and so did his two sons. And so, even though they had married and had uh, wives, they had no children. And Naomi was left without a husband of her own and with her two sons dead. And as we talked about last week, without any prospects for provision for her family. Because at that time, it was necessary to have somebody, especially for an older woman as Naomi would have been at that point, somebody who could help 
um, accomplish either the agricultural work or the manual labor that was going to provide for the rest of the family. So Naomi, whose name means uh, pleasant, said, call me Mara instead, a word which means bitter, because she said, God has dealt me a bitter hand. I've suffered bitter loss. Now, what happened in that uh, moment was, or in that time, was that Naomi heard that there was once again rain in the land of Israel, and once again there was going to be a harvest. And so she said, I will go back. I will go back to where I came from. But she also said to her daughters-in-law, you should go back. Go back to where you came from. Not because she didn't like them, but actually exactly the opposite, because she was basically saying to them, you know, we're all sort of left to our own devices now. Uh, My husband's dead, your husband's dead. What hope are you going to have with me? I'm not going to be able to provide husbands for you. And so who's going to provide for you in your old age? And who's going to give you the children that you want to have? So why don't you go back to your homes, go back to your families. Maybe you might still be able to find a new husband and a fresh life and a fresh hope. But as for me, I'm Mara. I'm bitter. I'm headed home, but there's not much I can hope for there. Now, one of the daughters-in-law saw the wisdom of what Naomi was saying. And from a practical standpoint, from a worldly standpoint, it makes sense. And so she said thank you to her mother-in-law and went back to her home. But Ruth, whose defining characteristics of loyalty and love and a willingness to labor in the fields in order to bring forth something fruitful, Ruth said, I will go with you. Not only because she believed, I think, that her dedication to her husband extended to a dedication to her husband's mother. What a wonderful thought, that you would marry into a family and feel as though that family is your own family and not look at them as other blood and other people, but as your own blood and your own people by choice by covenant, but also because Ruth had that feeling not only to her mother-in-law, but to her heavenly father. She had recognized that though she had been raised in the land of Moab and with idols, there was a God in the land of Israel who was the God of all the earth. And so she said to Naomi, not only where you go, I will go, but also your God is my God. And I will serve him too. And the loyalty of Ruth led her into the land of promise. And when they arrived, they arrived just in time for the harvest. Now, harvest is a wonderful thing, especially if you are someone who has experienced the bitterness of loss. And if you have lived through the times of famine. But you know what else harvest involves? work. The harvest has to be harvested. And so as we come to Ruth chapter 2 today, I want to look at the subject of labor. Labor in the sense of labor that Ruth engages in, physical manual labor in the fields of harvest, but also in the sense of bringing to birth that which God has seeded within us. Like a woman who through labor brings a child to life in the world, so also the Lord calls you and I to faithfully follow him into arenas in which we are called to work, 
Our salvation is not based on works, but the Lord does call us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Do you recognize that verse? And so I want you to think today about what is it that the Lord is calling you and I to work at in this season of our lives, here at PCF and in your life, or if you're a guest with us today, what is it that God has said to you, I want you to sow into this. I want you to work at this. I want you to weed out what is wrong in the world of your life, and I want you to sow into what is right in your life, and I want you to keep on doing this work that I've called you to do because there is a harvest that I've promised you will reap if you don't give up. Let's pray. Lord, may the story of Ruth inspire us today with the truth of Ruth, that you have a call like you had upon her life, so also upon ours. May everyone who is hearing this message today, Lord, hear your voice about what it is that you desire to strengthen us in, to refresh us in, to remind us the worthiness of in terms of our labor, how we spend our lives, where we invest our time for your purposes. Help us to see your purpose clearly and to fulfill it fully by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Ruth chapter 2. And so it happened that Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, the widow of the dead, had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, a man connected with Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Boaz means in him might, or in other words, in him there is strength. Now the name and its meaning were likely reflective of a desire on the part of Boaz's parents that their son should be strong. But what would be the source of his strength? In other words, in him, this Boaz, there is strength. But why is there strength in Boaz? Because his parents knew and Boaz knew that in him there is strength. In other words, in God there is strength. And the strength of God will be my strength. You see, that's what's all bundled up in Boaz. In fact, when Boaz ultimately becomes a father and his family line comes down its uh, line of descent, well, the regency of Ruth is going to be fulfilled. Regency is an arrangement by which a king's place is prepared by a parent in advance. And so out of Ruth and Boaz, ultimately, spoiler alert, these two are going to come together, there is going to come from them a line of kings. And out of that line of kings, which include David and his son Solomon, there will be a plan for the temple of the Lord. And when the temple of the Lord is made, there's going to be two great pillars placed in it. And the pillars will be so great, so foundational to the structure of that house of the Lord that they'll be given names, and one of them will be named Boaz. In him, there is strength. So see, in Boaz, the purpose of the Lord. God is saying, here is someone who knows me. And because he knows me, and because he serves me, here is someone in whom there is strength. That's who Boaz is. 
He's a member of the extended family of Ruth's in-laws. Now, one day Ruth the Moabite, because she is a foreigner, she says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, now that they are living in Bethlehem and now that they are back in the land of Israel, I'm going to work. What a blessing that she's willing to do this, especially in an era when it was not normative for a woman to go into the fields to work. Uh, it's hard work. It's back-breaking back -breaking work to have to gather grain and harvest it. It's not that a woman isn't capable of doing it. In fact, Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth is going to show uh, how very capable a dedicated and determined woman is to do it. But it is very helpful also that Ruth is younger. Naomi probably can't do it physically, at least not very well. She might not even be desirable among the workers. You've probably seen, if you drive by a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a U-Haul, some people lined up on the street and they're just there to work. They're ready to be hired for the day, right? Day laborers. They don't have a dedicated position. They don't have a salaried job. They're not hired and on staff somewhere, but they're ready to work and they want to work because they need that work. And that's, Ruth is saying, I'll go and do that. I'll go down to the local U-Haul and just see who will hire me. I'm going to go to the parking lot and see if I can get a job there. That's the equivalent in our contemporary society to what she is talking about. Or if you're in an agricultural community like the kind that I grew up in, there were people who would go down to the strawberry fields, to the spinach fields, whatever is being grown, and they'd say, hey, can I work today? Can I get a job doing this today? And Ruth says, I'm going to do that because we need to eat. We need something. I'm going to go out to glean among the sheaves, following after some harvesters who will treat me kindly. Remember that this is actually in the word of the Lord. When the Lord gave his word for the people of Israel through Moses, he included this awareness. There's going to be people among you who need extra help. So if you have fields and you are harvesting them, leave a little behind for those who can work in it so that they can have something to eat from it. In other words, the Lord says, help people out. Don't just be all about yourself. If I've given you excess, says the Lord, let some of that excess become the success of somebody who needs a helping hand, who needs a hand up. Let a little of the overflow bless. And Ruth is saying, I believe that there's going to be some of that overflow. So I'm going to go into the fields and I'm going to try and work. And Naomi says, go for it. Go and do that, dear daughter. Thank you for being willing to do that. By the way, it's not like Naomi is, meanwhile, sitting at home, eating bonbons and watching Days of Our Lives. She's probably working hard in the home, right? She's trying to, to make a place for them and to do the hard work, speaking of manual labor, of cleaning and cooking and, and, and just homekeeping that is vital to being able to live. So Naomi's doing that. Ruth goes into the fields. She started gleaning in a field, following in the wake of the harvesters. She's not trying to grab what doesn't belong to her. She's waiting until the hired hands and the official harvesters have done their work and then she's coming along behind that and helping them, but also hoping to get some of the grain for herself that will be left over. 
Eventually, she ended up in the part of the field owned by Boaz. This is her father-in-law Elimelech's relative. A little later, Boaz came out from Bethlehem. So the fields are probably in the area surrounding the town. And Boaz comes out from town into the fields to see how things are going and to greet his harvesters. Boaz is a good boss. He cares about the people that are working for him. He's a man of some affluence, but he's also a man who is interested in the lives and the well-being of those he has hired. So he's out in the field greeting his harvesters with a warm and sincere blessing. God be with you. And notice how they respond to him. And God bless you. When there are workers who say to a boss, God bless you, and they're saying it earnestly and sincerely, in response to that boss's blessing, you know there's a good guy leading the way, right? It's a good sign. If you're a boss, bless your workers. If you're a boss who is being blessed, let some of your excess be the success of your labor team. If you're a worker, be a blessing to your boss. All of us are bosses to some and workers for others, right? We are almost always somewhere in a hierarchy. There's people below you that you can bless through your good leadership, through your kindness, through your interest in their lives. There are people above you whom you can bless through your dedicated hard work and your interest in their lives and your willingness to pray and bless them. And that's the kind of arrangement that Boaz has. But Boaz is also a man, and a lovely young lady in the fields catches his eye. Not in some lascivious way, but he's interested. Who is this that I see? And so he asks one of his young servants, who's a foreman over the farmhands, who's this young woman that's working in the fields today? Where did she come from? The foreman says, oh, she's a Moabite. She's from another country. She's a foreigner. She came with Naomi. Remember Naomi? Mara, that poor woman who lost so much. She came with her. She's a widow. She asked me permission, right? She doesn't just go into the field on her own. She asked permission of the foreman. She does everything in a proper and respectful and submitted way. And she said, could I come and glean and, and gather among the sheaves following after your harvesters? And you know what, Boaz, sir? She's been at it steady all morning until now. I mean, all day long, she's a worker. She doesn't complain. She doesn't look up. She keeps her eye on the, on, on the goal, on the prize, on the task. She hasn't even taken a break. She's a laborer. Boy, there's nothing quite so honorable that catches people's attention quite so much as somebody who's a good worker. Have you ever had a job where you had to oversee people what is the common trait of people? They don't like to work, right? In fact, most overseers are looking for, are you working, right? When, they, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? How about somebody where you know I could be two hours away? That person's not going to stop working. That person's going to be on task. When I come back, they're not going to be messing around. They're not going to be goofing off. They're not going to be spending all their time talking to somebody else. They are doing their job. I pray that each one of us would be like that, that we would be the kind of people where those who oversee us or supervise us say, I'll tell you what, you can give them the task. They won't let you down. They will be working. They're not going to goof off. They're not going to play. 
It doesn't mean that you never take a break. It means that they know that you are dedicated to your work. By the way, I think it's worth saying that Filipinos are among the hardest working people I know. There's a culture in the Philippines of good work. Doesn't mean that every Filipino is a good worker. Doesn't mean that people who aren't Filipino can't be. But there is a culture. I've perceived this. I mean, I wasn't born there, so I think I can say this objectively. There's a culture of dedication to labor in the Philippines, and people admire that. In fact, often when I mention that I pastor a primarily Filipino church or that I married into a Filipino family, it's one of the things that people will often recognize. Boy, Filipinos are good workers. And it's not a diminishing comment. It's not saying, oh, that's all they're good for is just to grind away and hard work. It's saying that culture is one that is really recognized. There is something of strong value in being dedicated to a task. Well, that's a Christian value. Every culture in the world has its areas where I think you can really see this, this, this group of people has come to understand something powerful and worthy of recognition. And, and maybe that's true of the Philippines and Filipino culture when it comes to labor. It's a recognition that there is something really valuable in working hard at a task. And other people will honor it and admire it. So we ought to, as kingdom people, no matter what our background is, no matter where we were born, We ought to all be those who say, I am going to diligently do whatever work is before me. If I'm a student, I'm going to do my schoolwork as unto the Lord. If I'm a manual laborer, I'm going to do that work as unto the Lord. If you are literally reaping harvest from a field, if you are cleaning utensils in a kitchen in the back, if you are serving plates of food to people in the front, if you are working in the service industry, if you are making clothes, if you're manufacturing technology, if you are working in a medical field, if you're serving people in a hospital or in some kind of convalescent home, if you are working in a legal office, if you are teaching, no matter what your work is, do it as unto the Lord. Because there are people that can benefit from your work and there are people who can see Jesus through your work. They can actually see what the Lord is like when they see what you work like. Paul wrote to the Colossians and said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Ultimately, your boss is not your immediate supervisor. Respect them. Follow them. But remember, your big boss is God. In him is strength. In him is a harvest. And to him, you and I owe allegiance. If we are slacking off and the supervisor doesn't see, let me tell you something. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. There are people that can impress their bosses on earth. Oh, boy, have you ever worked for somebody like that? Everybody goes, they are terrible. But some reason or another, the boss likes them. Usually it's because they know how to. We've all worked with people like that. Oh, when the boss is around, they're great. Then the boss is gone and they're a nightmare or they're gone. Don't be like that. The boss may be fueled, fooled. The Lord is not. It is the Lord. Christ you are serving and you will receive an inheritance from him not as a as a payment for your services but if you invest your life in the Lord there is a harvest in that field amen
So Boaz looks at Ruth and sees something impressive there. Here's a young lady about whom there is something special. He's aware of the loyalty of her life and the covenant oath that she has made. And he now is becoming aware of the quality of labor that she gives. And so he comes to her and he speaks to her as a family member, which he is legally, but he appropriates her emotionally and spiritually. My daughter, listen to me. I want to talk to you. From now on, I want you to come here. He's aware that she may be going from field to field to field, just finding where is there going to be a favorable position for me? Because there's probably some fields where people are going to say, get out of here. We got enough. We don't need you. We don't need some woman coming here and working. He says, don't go anywhere else. Come here. From now on, stay right here in my fields. Stay close to the other young women that I have among my hired hands. Watch where they are harvesting and follow them. But I want to tell you something. Don't worry about anything. In other words, he's saying to her, I'm going to take care of you. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. If you get thirsty, you can take a break. Don't feel like you've got to just keep, you know, working your fingers to a bone. If you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water buckets. In other words, you are fully affirmed as part of the team. Oh, that's such a great feeling, isn't it? When somebody says, we want you as part of our team, and we're going to support each other. We work together. So don't go somewhere else. And if you need something, let me know first. Can you imagine the gratitude she feels after so much loss, being such a foreigner in the land? She drops to her knees, bows her face to the ground. She shows extraordinary submission to him as an authority figure. And she says, basically, why are you treating me so well? How does this happen to me that you would pick me out and treat me so kindly? I mean, I'm a Moabite. And Boaz says, I've heard about you. Your reputation precedes you. The way that you treated your mother-in-law, who's a relative of mine, after the death of her husband, how you left your homeland, you left your own father and mother, and the land that you were born in. And by the way, he doesn't mention it there, but you left the gods of that land, and you came here to live among a bunch of total strangers and to serve the God of this land. And God the God of this land, the God of all the earth, will reward you for what you've done with a generous bonus besides because it's God to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. If you're in need today, the Lord is the answer to your need. If you're looking for a good job, if you're looking for a better job, if you're buried under the weight of debt, if you're grappling with the grief of loss, if you are dealing with a foreign situation or you feel disfavored or you just feel like I'm all alone out here, realize this, above all else, in him there is strength. Come to God and let God give you the blessing that comes under the shadow of his wings. Oh, sir. Ruth says to Boaz, such grace, such kindness, I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart. You've treated me like one of your own, even though I don't even come from here. I don't belong here. Now the lunch hour comes and Boaz says, come on over here, Ruth. Eat some of the bread that is prepared for me. Dip it in some of the wine that is reserved for me. 
here in this, not just the words of Boaz to Ruth, but the words of Jesus to you. A week ago today, we gathered in this room and ate of the bread of the Lord and drank of the wine of the Lord. And here, the words of Jesus are coming through the mouth of Boaz. He's saying, I'm going to provide for you out of my own provision, out of myself. My plate is your plate. My life is given for you. And so Ruth accepts, and she joins the harvesters. And Boaz even passes her a treat, the roasted grain. And so she eats and is full maybe for the first time in a long time. She even has leftovers. That is such a, such a sign of the Lord, isn't it? Remember when Jesus was out teaching in the wilderness and there were thousands of people gathered and the, and the apostles were saying, we're worried there's nothing for them to eat. And out of a few loaves of bread and a few fishes, Jesus was able to feed thousands. And you know what was another hallmark of those miracles? It happened more than once. There was always leftovers. That's what the Lord does. He takes not enough and turns it into more than enough. That's the way he is. It's what he desires to do. He did it for Ruth and he'll do it for you. And so Ruth, in her faithfulness and her faithful labor, is now ready to reap a reward. So she has her lunch, a nice lunch. She's full to overflowing. She gets back up and goes back to work. It's not nap time. Oh, that after lunch hour is tough, right? <laughs> now it's time for the afternoon work, and you think, oh, boy, I don't know. But Ruth is right back into the mix, ready once again to work. And Boaz sees it. And he says to his servants, let her glean where there's still plenty of grain on the ground. Normally, someone who's working in her role would be doing mop-up, only what is left over. He says, I want you, instead of having her be at the very back of the row, put her at the front where there's more. Make it easy for her. Listen, somebody needs to hear this right now. You think the Lord has only been making it hard for you and hard and harder. And that's the way Naomi felt. First, my husband died, then my kids, first a famine, then I lost everything else. And she says, God is against me. But Ruth shows that, in fact, God is for you, not against you. Yes, hardship comes. It came to Ruth, too. But Ruth didn't put her focus on that. Ruth said, I'm ready to get to work. I believe for something better. And what the Lord showed her was, I want to make it easy for you when you follow me. Not easy in the sense that you won't face any hardship, but easy in the sense that you'll know who's facing it with you and who's standing there working for you, which is Jesus. Boaz says, I want to do something even better for Ruth. Pull some of the good stuff out and leave it for her to glean. He's actually sending other workers to prepare stuff for her. Give her special treatment. Can you believe that Jesus wants to give you special treatment? Now listen, somebody might say, oh, I don't like this kind of preaching because it sounds just so like, I just want whatever I want. I'm not saying Jesus is trying to put your feet up on a pillow. What I'm saying is Jesus loves you so much that he wants to lead you to the place of blessing. But you've got to follow him. But when you do follow him, no matter what hardship you may have to walk through, he's leading you to the place where he'll even be saying to the angels, you know what? Give extra portion there. I want to make it easier for them to follow me. 
I want to make it easier for them to experience my fullness. And if you are having a hard time with that now, if you remain faithful in the hard time, you can experience the harvest time. I'll say it again. If you remain faithful in the hard time, you can experience the harvest time. But if you're not going to stay faithful in the hard time, don't expect a harvest. Keep working hard in the hard time because the harvest is coming. Ruth kept gleaning in the field until evening. She probably was out there before dawn, and she kept on working after dusk. She threshed out what she had gathered, and she ended up with nearly a full sack of barley. This is big-time blessing. Maybe hard for us to equate what this means, but let's just say she had a big payday. I don't mean the candy bar. (laughs) She gathered up her gleanings, she went back to town, and she showed her mother-in-law the results of her day's work, and she had kept those leftovers and gave them to Naomi. She could have kept it in her pocket, she could have kept it to herself, but she said, I want to honor this woman. I want to honor my mother-in-law as a mother, and she gave it to Naomi, and Naomi is pretty amazed because there's so much to be grateful for in what they have received from the Lord. And so the second lesson of today's teaching is, be grateful for what God is giving you. It's so easy to just take it for granted. Be grateful. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, keep away from every idle believer who is disruptive and doesn't live according to the teaching you received from us. In other words, watch out. Don't associate with bitter people who have no sense of blessing and who just sit around and wait for things to come to them. Don't be among those. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, Paul says. We weren't idle when we were with you. We didn't eat anyone else's food without paying it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. In fact, Paul was one who worked a day job, like so many of our pastors here at PCF. I'm blessed that I have a full-time position serving you, but I'm also extraordinarily blessed by all the pastors and the, and the council members who serve you so dedicatedly and other leaders here, and they're not getting paid for it, but the Lord sees and the Lord knows, and you too. You sow into this ministry, and you go into this city with what the Lord is speaking through you, and the Lord sees, and I'm grateful for that. Paul says we did this not because we don't have any right to ask for help, but we wanted to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. We wanted to show you what the labor of love looks like. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Here's a good rule, and it's in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. You don't work, you don't eat. You want to eat of the feast? Then work in the field. You want to be a part of the hope? Then work in the harvest. Not because you have to earn your way, but because that's what we've been saved to be. That's what we've been called to do. Was Jesus ever lazy? He was called a partier. And there's a blessing in that. Jesus knew how to celebrate, but he was not idle, never. There were times where he was quiet and alone, meditative prayer and being in the scriptures, that's part of your labor. So it's not wrong to be alone. It's not wrong to have quiet time. You need it. But remember this, 
Don't be idle. Don't waste your time. Use your time for the things of the Lord. And when you do, you'll be worshiping the Lord. The final section of the scripture, adore your redeemer. When Ruth came home that night, Naomi asked her, where did you glean today? I sense in this Naomi saying, however, did you come back with so much? One day and you got all of this? Whose field were you in? God bless whoever it was that gave you so much bounty. And Ruth says to her mother-in-law, the man with I worked with today, oh, his name is Boaz. Ruth doesn't know where she's been, but the Lord knew. See, Ruth was just ready and willing to work, and she was following the Lord. It was the Lord who brought her to the place of blessing. How many of us have experienced that, right? We just said, Lord, I want you to lead my life, and the Lord is the one who put us into the place of blessing. Yesterday, I was at a memorial for a dearly beloved brother who went home to be with the Lord. He went home earlier than I think any of us would have expected, but the legacy of his life lives on, even as he lives on with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was a hard worker. He went through some hard times, but one thing I was reminded of in hearing about the beauty of his incredible faith-filled life was he was someone who said, I want what God wants from me. It wasn't always easy to know, and it often took labor to find. In other words, the labor of seeking after the Lord and listening to the Lord, but he faithfully did it, and God faithfully blessed him, and he would affirm that today if he were here. And so Ruth says, I just went to this field and the man's name was Boaz. And Naomi says, Boaz? God bless that man. You know what? God hasn't actually walked out on us after all. Look at this. Naomi, who called herself bitter, is starting to see the blessing. She said, I thought God had really turned his back on me, but maybe not. God still loves me after all. In bad times, he's still loving me. I didn't see it. Now I start to see it. And then Naomi says to Ruth, daughter, that man, that, that, that Boaz, he's our relative. He's one of the circle of our covenant redeemers. Now, this requires a little explanation. The kinsman redeemer in ancient Israel was called for by the scripture, and it was to provide for widows and orphans and people in hardship. In other words, families that had lost their, 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 their caregivers, their providers, who was going to take care of them? The Lord in his word said, someone in the family should step up and be a kinsman redeemer. But they need to be someone that's part of the family. Because otherwise, they might just take advantage of you. You know the old Cinderella stories, right? Cinderella's mother dies, and the guy marries another woman, and she's the wicked stepmother. And the word recognizes people from another family might be more interested in enriching themselves in caring, instead of caring for these. And so the kinsman redeemer was someone who's connected by blood. Someone who will care about you, but will also say, I'm willing to bring you into my immediate family line. And, and Naomi is saying, Boaz is one of ours. Can you believe it? He's a close relative. What are the odds? Well, the odds are good when you are walking with God. So Ruth the Moabitess says, well, you think that sounds good? Listen to this. 
He told me, stick with me, stay with me until the harvest is done. So the harvest has just begun, and she's saying, I'm going to be there all season. If this is the blessing of one day, imagine what is to come. Oh, that's wonderful, dear daughter, Naomi replies. Do that. You'll be safe. And here, <laughs> there's a recognition of something else. It's dangerous to be a young woman all alone out in the world working, especially in the fields of manual labor. And Ruth, uh, excuse me, Naomi says, this is wonderful. We don't have to worry about you being maligned or harmed or hurt or raped in other fields because you're going to be in the kinsman redeemer's field. Not only will you be well provided for, but you'll be well protected. And again, the Lord says to you, if you're with me, I'll provide for you and I'll protect you. And so Ruth did just that. She stuck close to Boaz's young women, the women working in his workforce, gleaning in the fields every day until both the barley harvest and the wheat harvest were finished. And she continued living with her mother-in-law and bringing of the abundance of the bounty back to Naomi. In other words, she kept on going all the way through the season. You and I are called to patiently finish the harvest. What would have happened if Ruth thought, well, this was good, but maybe I can find something better. Maybe there's someplace else. Maybe I would like to look around and play the odds and play the field. No, she stays where the Lord has put her, and she patiently finishes the harvest. Galatians 6, once again, the words of the Apostle Paul. And he's speaking to a local congregation like yours and mine, like PCF or wherever you affiliate, friend. And he's saying, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the way of Christ. If anyone thinks that they're something better than what they are, they're deceiving themselves. Instead, put yourself to the test. Don't compare yourself to others, but take a look at yourself and carry your own load. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all the good things with their instructor. In other words, like, like Ruth, bring it back to the person you're with and share it with them. Give back to your parents. Share the goodness of God with your spouse. Let your coworkers know of God's goodness to you and share of it in practical ways with them. Don't just say, God bless you. Give them some money. Give them some food. Give them some help. Give them a helping hand up when they need it. Give the testimony of God in real and practical ways. And remember this, God is not mocked. A person reaps what they sow. If you are sowing to your flesh, then you're going to reap from your flesh. Again, it's not so much the idea of God's punishment as it is God's promise. Whatever you are sowing, that's what you're going to be reaping. So if you sow something good, you'll reap something good. And don't get tired of working in that way of sowing to the good, because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. And as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, but especially among each other, because we are kin in Christ. And it is out of that goodness that we can show goodness to the world around us. So it's time to conclude. And the conclusion is this. The labor of the Lord is one in which if you and I will remain loyal to him who already showed his loyalty to us, we will experience the love and provision of God too. 
Gleaning in the field for you and I means do the work that God has put before you. You know, I was talking with my daughter. She has her first job now. She's been working at it for, you know, I don't know, the better part of a year at this point. First jobs are rarely your favorite jobs. You remember the first job you ever had? Probably not the best job you ever had, right? Maybe the worst job you ever had. But I said to her also, it's a job. And there's lots of things to be grateful for. You know what? There's people that don't have a job. And there's people who can't work a job. Be grateful for whatever it is that God has you doing now. I never wanted to go to school, but I'm grateful that I got to have an education. There's so many ways in which we can look at things negatively from the Mara perspective of bitterness or positively from the Ruth perspective of loyalty and labor and dedication and love. Do the work that God has in front of you. And if you do it well, God will promote you. It happens. I can testify to that. God promotes you if you just keep serving faithfully where he's put you. Bloom where you're planted, right? Let God blossom you. Be grateful for what God gives you. If he gives you more opportunity, be grateful for that. If he brings you promotion, be grateful for that. If he brings you demotion, maybe there's some pride that needs to be dealt with. Be grateful for that. Count it all joy. If you experience hardship, give thanks to God that he's going to use the hardship to lead you into the land of blessing, out of the land of loss, and into the harvest. Give thanks to God for whatever he's giving you and look for God in everything in front of you. And finally, keep on keeping on. And in it all, adore the Lord. Jesus is the one who makes it all worthwhile. You want to make your life really blessed? Put your eyes on Jesus. Follow with focus on Jesus. Jesus is the only one the only one who makes it all make sense. And even when it doesn't make sense, it doesn't matter because I need Jesus more than I need sense. I need Jesus more than I need dollars. I need Jesus more than I need anyone or anything. But in Jesus, everyone and everything has greater meaning and greater blessing. Look to the Lord, not to the world, not to the flesh. And let the love of the Lord fill you with hope and strength for the labor to which he has called you and I. And if you will do that faithfully, you will reap a harvest. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father God, we thank you that you are so faithful to us. We confess that we've often been unfaithful to you. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a heart like Ruth, a heart of loyalty, a heart willing to labor and a heart focused on hope in you. And Lord, we thank you that you are our kinsman. You are not a God that is far away and far off and doesn't understand us. You have lived on this earth in human flesh just like us. You know what it is to be tempted. You know what it is to be tired. You know what it is to suffer loss. You know what it is to cry tears and to feel pain. In fact, you know more of that and you know it better than any one of us has ever known it. And you also know what it is to love. You know it better than any one of us has. Lord, we desire to know you more, to serve you better. And we don't want to go anywhere else. Friend, right now, Jesus is saying to you, stick with me. Stay in my field. Don't go hunting for some other harvest. 
Don't go looking for some other philosophy. Don't go seeking after some other God. I am your kinsman redeemer, says Jesus. I own you. You've been bought with a price, and the price was my blood. You are my blood relative, says Jesus, and I am your blood redeemer. Right now, there's people who are feeling the weight of their sin, who is feeling the sorrow of division and separation from Jesus, and Jesus is coming to you saying, right now, I want you to hear me say, I love you. I want to make it easier for you. It's been hard long enough. I also want to make you stronger so that when you face the hardship ahead, you can face it with hope and strength and me at your side, me ahead of you, guiding you. Come to me if you are weak and weary, and I'm going to give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to tie myself to you and you to me. Give yourself to me today. And let me show you all my blessing because I have a harvest ahead for you. If you're willing to receive that and believe that, then just make your prayer to Jesus right now and tell him, yes, amen, I believe you. I trust you for the forgiveness of my sins and I entrust to you the totality of my life and I commit myself to work for you. When I go to work today, tomorrow, the next day, I'm going to be working for you. I'm never going to collect a paycheck again where I don't recognize that on top of whatever company or name is there, Jesus is written there. And if there's anywhere I'm working where you wouldn't put your name, then I don't want to work there anymore no matter how much they pay. And if there's somewhere you call me and that's where you call me, I don't care what anyone else thinks of it and I don't care how little they pay. I'll go where you go and I will follow where you lead because I belong to you. We give ourselves to you again, Lord Jesus, who gave yourself for us. And we praise you and we ask you that you would bring forth a harvest through our labor in your spirit in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go in that spirit and go into that harvest and may the Lord make you fruitful. Amen.